quiet your mind. Ever since the Earth has circled the sun, there have been fantastic tales of wonder and mystery that the faint of heart dare not discuss. But three brave, uninformed souls have the brass to tackle every extraordinary happenstance from the modern age to the dawn of Mantis. Welcome to Dawn of Mantis, true crime, mysteries, and more. I'm Ivan with Joe and Sam. I just thought I'd remind everyone once again about our hotline. You can call with anything, 417-462-6847-417, the number four, Mantis. Joe, Sam, how are you guys? Wonderful. Man, I'm glad you can remember all those actual numbers. I can't. I sure wouldn't be able to. Yeah, I have to look every week. I'm I'm not a I'm not a numbers guy. I can't remember numbers. I sometimes I have trouble with birthdays. Uh, I don't know. I have a, like a number block thing, and I I used to like hide it, and I'd never tell anyone about it because I was thinking if anyone ever knew about my number problem. They would hate me forever, but then I'm like, <laughs> no, that's not why you hate people. <laughs> you don't hate people because of numbers. <laughs> you hate them because they hate other things and they're just bad people. So so I'm good with admitting that. Like we hate Ken McElroy. Yes. Yes. And, and his and, lawyer. And mostly his lawyer. Yeah. And great segue, Sam. Ah, well, you set it up. This lawyer guy is re- the real villain in this thing. I- I've already decided. You know, Ken... Poverty, generational poverty. I mean, just just like a crap guy. But this lawyer is enabling him yeah. to do all these things to these people. How can he sleep at night doing this? Right on Benjamins, baby. That, on well, a big that's fat true. pile of Benjamins. But you know, defense attorneys, the honest ones and the good ones, are like, I want to make sure my clients' constitutional rights aren't imposed upon. Mm-hmm. This guy's like finagling the system to where he's winning and he shouldn't. It's it's just. Insane. Yeah, I agree. Makes me angry. It makes me very angry. (laughs) So, Joe, what do we have? Well, we have happened upon part four of our Ken McElroy series. Or McElroy. I'd like to address that, too. I've heard it said both ways. I'm saying it both ways. You know, let's... Come on. Let's not pick. So, this is the last episode, right? No. We have five more after this one. Yeah. There's a lot to cover. I mean, folks may be tired of hearing about this by the time we're done, but... Uh, no, they won't be. It's enthralling. It's going to pull you in. It's going to continue to make you upset and angry and need blood pressure medication throughout the whole rest of the series. The only thing I'm tired of is injustice. Yeah. But I know we're going to get it eventually, but Not who else has to be hurt? From. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Go, Joe. I guess we're ready for this thing. Sure. Well, for the next couple of years, Ken McElroy went about the business of being Ken McElroy. He and Trina still resided on his farm outside of Skidmore, but Ken was most definitely not a farmer. In fact, he despised farmers. We've mentioned that before in this series. He'd pay good money for practically anything stolen from a farmer. One time, he had two teenagers... What? But wasn't he also doing some of the stealing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is talking about more like his henchmen. He would just say... He would put the word out to the teenage boys in the area, look, anything you... Pick off a farm and bring to me, I'll pay you good money for. Man, what? Is, like, he just has a thing with teenagers, doesn't he? Yeah. He uses both sexes of yeah. teenagers. Yeah. He's also kind of like Shredder in the Foot Clan. That's true. <laughs> From the first That's movie. That's true. You know, make all the kids. Yeah. yeah handing out them farm. cigarettes. <laughs> so, you mean to tell me that 
he'd be like, how much does that tractor will? Yeah. Well, you know, $15. Or, where'd you get it from? Farmer. I'll get you 200 <laughs> <laughs> Price just went up. He yeah. would sweeten the deal just knowing that the item was taken from a farm and, crazy, and was making man. a farmer's life harder. Well, now he doesn't have his DeWalt handsaw. That's crazy. You know, well, yeah, it's just, yeah, he would do that. Hmm. Uh, yeah, one time he had two teenagers steal an expensive toolbox from a local farmer. And you know what he did when they brought it to him? He took it down by the river, soaked it in gas, and lit it on fire. Hmm. It cost him a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, but knowing the farmer would not be a- able to use it and would be out, you know, of the money of replacing all those tools and stuff, that made it worth it to Ken. Wow. He despised farmers. That's yeah, crazy. I mean, you know, they're... Farmers are all the time conniving and trying to feed people. <laughs> Who wouldn't hate them? Uh, Switzerland hates them, I guess. Or what? What's that country that just they're having riots at the moment? They just imposed all these insane. I guess it's due to do with climate. In the name of climate change, mm-hmm. they have just either they've done it or are talking about imposing all these new restrictions on farmers, and that's why they're having all these riots. Because basically, oh. it's saying. It's going to run the farmers completely out of business. And wow. that's not good because they kind no. of grow our food. Yes. So I don't really know where that's going to end up. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't heard about that. Okay, it's crazy that Ken would blow money like that. But by this point, Ken, he had quite a bit of money. He was earning ten to fifteen grand a pop burning down buildings for insurance money on top of everything else. It wasn't all just pure greed, though. Ken still resented his upbringing and had sworn to provide a better life for his own kids. So there you go. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Wow. By the late 70s, he had amassed a small fleet of new cars and trucks, all of which he paid cash for. And he had also completely remodeled the farmhouse. The last part was more of a necessity. For all the bad qualities Ken McElroy had, he was apparently a good father to his kids. Well, let's put it another way. His kids enjoyed being on the farm. That could be different. Like, I would imagine there were probably no rules. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you would think. They I'm, could do whatever they wanted. Didn't have yeah. curfews. Eat whatever they wanted. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess if you're getting all your terrible frustrations out on other people, maybe you're being okay to your own kids. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about it on the last episode. I think that was kind of the deal. Like you said, it, it was why he was able to put on such a good face, which was an act, at the dog training shows and stuff. Yeah. Because he had all these other... He'd literally just probably uh, threatened or shot or beat up or molested somebody beforehand. Yeah. So yeah. that's out of his system. So Yeah. Yeah, it's probably <laughs> something like that. <laughs> uh, now, whether his kids liked to be on the farm was because he was a good dad or, you know, like I said, because he just let them have run of the place. That's up to debate. I don't know. I wasn't there. But for what it's worth, out of all the interviews I watched... I thought you were. (laughs) Well, I was there, but not at the time. Okay. Let's say that. (laughs) Did you ever, like, have a thought of driving out to where, like, his farm was? Well, it's been burnt down. So, it's... Yeah, it was burnt down not long after he got killed. Hmm. But I would have had to have spoken with somebody to kind of find out. That did cross my mind. Yeah. Uh, the book that I read gave a rough area, but once you got out there, I was like, I just don't want to start driving down random dirt roads. I'll never be seen again. Hey, guys, I'm looking for Ken's farm. Is that cool? (laughs) You know that terrible part in your history? Yeah. I'm just kind of looking around for it. No, I get what you're saying, man. Yeah. But I would have liked to see. But it'd be cool if you'd have known to go to it, but I get you. That would be tough. Yeah. It was a thought that crossed my mind, but like I said on the last episode, I didn't want to poke around about that particular subject to find out where he sure, was. Sure, yeah, that makes sense, totally. <laughs> By 
But yeah, like I said last time, for what it's worth, out of all the inter- interviews I watched with his kids, uh, you know, they loved him and thought he was a good dad. Now, this also, this isn't a subjective point. This is a fact. Out of all of Ken's kids that I found, they all seem to be really well-adjusted, level-headed people. A couple, One or two of them had some scrapes with the law but are okay now. Out of 15 or 16 or 17 people, that's just a law statistics probably. Mm. Uh, you know, yeah. but I'm saying for for having him as a father out of all the interviews that I saw with these people who are all roughly our age now, they were all born in the, you know, throughout the 70s and obviously not past 81, but, you know, several yeah. of them are our age. Yeah. They're all chill, cool people. Man, low pressure though, because you could just kind of skate through life and you definitely do better than your dad, right? You know, I, yeah. I'm just trying to, that's just an obvious point to point out. The only thing I can say is that they have kind of a, and it is, look, it's your dad. So maybe that's why, but they have kind of a skewed view. A lot of them in interviews kind of say things like, he probably couldn't have done everything they said he did or. Oh yeah. I don't know. And it's your father, right? So well, I we're understand on part, part four. Of so let's say he did 70%. Let's say he did 20%. Yeah. <laughs> True. I mean, God damn. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I don't know. It's, uh, and I feel bad for them because. Yeah, for, no, that'd be tough. Yeah, yeah. Imagine for 41 years, every time you, you see an article or something with your dad's name in it, all it is is saying, man, was this guy a piece of shit, you know, or yeah. every comment on any YouTube video is like, well, that bastard got what he deserved. So I would get like why they would be a little. Tender to the subject. Yeah. Well, I wish the best for him. I mean, I, I do yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I feel bad for him too. I do as well. But you know, they say that Ken was good to them, and he was at least good at hiding the abuse that occurred to their various mothers. So there was that. Like I said, a few are still defensive, and doubt he was quite the monster that he was made out to be. But you know, I mean, it's, if it's your father, maybe it's just hard to accept certain things. It's a good guy. Ask our various mothers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just <laughs> quoted you. Well, let's get back to the late 70s. Let's get back to the time Let's frame. go. Because also by this time, several of Ken's children had elected to leave their mothers and come stay on the farm with their dad. In fact, by 1980, the McElroy farm was home to, obviously, Ken and Trina. Uh, but other than that, there was also six children of theirs living there. Olita, Tammy, Tina, Debbie, Jerome, and Trina's newest baby, Reno. Okay. They were, yeah, they were... Kind of slinging wild with the names. I don't know. They're yeah. thinking outside the box. They are. They named their kids like they were famous. You know, like everyone, like <laughs> Apple, Blanket, Tutu, like all these dumb shit names that I don't know. What. They can get away with it because they're rich and famous, but whatever. The next event to spark Ken's fury actually involved, it was not pointed towards the kids, but it involved the kids. Okay. Now here is where we really get into this. I've, been, I've mentioned the Bowen camps for the last few episodes. Sure. This is really where it heats up in Skidmore. The Skidmore's lone grocery store was owned by Lois and Ernest Bowenkamp. Now, his nickname was Bo. The cu- I took a picture of that building. Oh, okay, cool. The couple were both born and raised in the region and were longtime residents of Skidmore, but as far as a couple, they were polar opposites. So Lois was almost 50, and she was a feisty woman. She ruled the store with a bit of an iron fist and didn't tend to take shit off anyone. If there was ever a dispute over a delivery to the store or a money issue, uh, a couple of minutes on the phone with Lois would usually straighten someone out. This is like me when I'm on the phone with somebody and I can't get something through. I'm like, hold on, I'm going to get my wife. <laughs> You're about to be really sorry. <laughs> yeah. And then she's, 
because <laughs> she will straighten someone out. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, then there was Bo. You would have to use the term gentle giant, and no one fit that moniker better than Bo Bowencamp. Nearly 20 years older than Lois, Bo stood a towering six foot five, his tall farmer's cap adding another few inches to his height. He was a quiet and soft-spoken man who kept his glasses perched at the end of his nose. He'd been a farmer most of his life, and the giant hands that hung on the end of his arms showed calluses and wrinkles earned by years of hard work. He still wore his weathered Big Smith overalls and work boots, a habit old farmers never break, even long after they've retired. That's what my dad wore to the day mm-hmm. he died. While Lois tended to most of the store's business, Bo was content to work in the back, cutting meat and making small talk with customers. It was here, in the dull, quiet, and pale fluorescent lighting of the grocery store, where the next battle in the Ken versus Skidmore war would begin. Oh, no. Now, oddly enough, this is the event that undoubtedly led to Ken getting killed. Okay. This is it. I want to hear about it then. And and oddly enough, ironically enough, it happened on the exact day that I was born. Oh, okay. April 25th, 1980. Okay. So when this went down... I was like six hours old. Okay. (laughs) I know exactly what I was doing. That's right. All right. Anyway. (laughs) But I just thought that was so funny. So April 25th, 1980, started out like any other day at the Bowen Camp grocery store. It was called B&B. Bo was behind the meat counter. Lois was sitting at a back table going over the books, a cigarette burning between her fingers. And a woman named Evelyn Sumi, who lived across the street from the Bowen Camps, she was working the register. Now, at about 2 o'clock that afternoon, the door opened and two young girls walked in, a teenager and a preschooler. Evelyn wondered why they weren't in school on a weekday and then put it out of her mind. After the two children milled around for a few minutes, they approached the counter. The teenager produced a candy bar and a sack of cookies before adding that she also needed a pack of cigarettes. This was 1980, so literally anybody could, you Mm -hmm. know, take three bucks from dad and go buy a pack of smokes. I was probably smoking at six hours old. Um, (laughs) Evelyn obliged and started bringing up the items, but noticed the other child was also holding some candy, just a few pieces of gum and a jawbreaker, like 12 cents worth of candy. Motioning towards the younger child, Evelyn said, what about her candy? The teenage girl replied, she's got her own money. Okay, no big deal. Evelyn thought, whatever. She finished the transaction and handed the teenager back her change. Then the girls kind of lingered around for a moment, and Evelyn asked, what about the young girl's candy? This is when the older girl became very upset, snatched the candy away from the younger girl and threw it back onto the box where she had grabbed it, and then grabbed the girl by the arm and let her out of the store. At this, the younger girl began to cry and throw a fit over having lost her candy before ripping away from her older sister and running back to the box on the shelf and grabbing it again. After this, both girls started walking towards the exit. Evelyn said to the teenager, Ma'am, she still has her candy in her hand. Hearing this, the teenager glared at Evelyn for a moment before grabbing the candy and throwing it back into the box for a second time. Okay, I'm with you. (laughs) This is all important, though. Yeah, no, I I understand that it has to be. Yeah, go ahead. This time, she successfully drugged the younger girl, kicking and screaming, out of the store. Totally flustered at the exchange, Evelyn flew down the aisle to alert Lois that they'd just been robbed or attempted. But before she could explain what had happened, the door opened again, and this time a different, slightly older girl walked in. 
Not sure if she was connected to the other two or not, Evelyn walked back to the front and said, may I help you? The girl loudly announced, I want my money back. Confused, Evelyn asked, what money? Is something wrong? The girl tossed a paper sack onto the counter and yelled, whoever in here waited on my sister accused her of trying to raid the store. It was at about this time that Evelyn recognized the girl as Tammy McElroy, one of Ken's daughters, and realized with horror that the two younger children were his daughters as well. Trying to calm her down, I know, she's like, oh, shit. (laughs) Trying Trying to calm Tammy down, Evelyn began to explain what had happened, but Tammy was not having it. Gee, I wonder where they learned this style of not having any patience for anything and resorting directly to violence. Do you think, where do you think they got it? I don't know. I, I, I don't have the foggiest. I don't either. Mm. I can't think of a single... The lawyer! <laughs> it could have been him. <laughs> but yeah, Tammy wasn't having it. At this point, Lois approached from the back. She's like, I'm going to go straighten shit out. Yeah. Because I'm a shit straightener. Mm-hmm. What was it that Red, what Red Fox used to say? I'm going to get out my uh, butt nipper and nip this in the butt. <laughs> yeah. That's what Lois was going to do. <laughs> she said, if there's a problem, I'm sure we can work it out. To which Tammy shot back, no one accuses my sister of stealing. Not one to back down, Lois straightened her posture and in a solid tone asked, or more like declared, what are you talking about? Yeah. You little bitch. No, she didn't say that. (laughs) She didn't. (laughs) Tammy also squared up and said, don't you get snotty with me. Oh, we got a smackdown coming. Still not backing down, but speaking a little more softly, Lois countered, I'm not getting snotty with you. I'm just saying, if there's been a mistake, we can straighten it out. If you just bring the girl back in, we can talk to her. Seeming utterly offended by the notion, Tammy yelled, she's only four years old. Nobody in our family will ever buy anything from this store again. Not in Timmons. (laughs) Well, no, he's got a lot of kids. Yeah, that's true. It's the only store within 30 miles, so they might want to think about that. But anyway. (laughs) Not intimidated, Lois handed the girl her money back and firmly replied, okay, that's your privilege. As Tammy snatched the money and flew out of the store, Lois followed to see what vehicle she was getting in. Noticing this, all three girls exited back out of the green Dodge truck, that was Ken's, and stomped back to the store's door. Tammy glared at Lois and demanded, is there something else you want? Lois stood her ground and defiantly answered, no, I just wanted to see the other two girls, so if they come in here again, I'll know them. Lois' authoritative authoritative tone, that is, was immediately countered by Evelyn's peace offering. She stepped in and said, Debbie, you know I didn't accuse your little sister of raiding the store. But she scarcely had the words out of her mouth before Tammy fired back, yes, you did, as she and her sisters again left the store. Hmm. Before the glass door even shut again, Evelyn burst into tears. She was not used to drama like this and could not handle it. Lois wasn't used to it either, but had a far stronger uh, constitution. She led Evelyn to the back of the store so she could compose herself while Beau attempted to console her. Some people are just difficult. It's okay, he said. It's done and over with now. Of course, they just pissed off the McElroys, so it was only just beginning. Hmm. So they think it's just, you know, they think it's over. Man, what a weird thing. Little Jerry Springer moment there, even though this was <laughs> long before Springer. Yeah, but very, very good call there. <laughs> well, about 20 minutes after the girls had stormed out, the door chime rang again. Evelyn grew ghost white as she recognized the broad figure slowly walking down the aisle. She grabbed Lois by the arm and whispered, Batten down the hatches. You're about to meet Ken McElroy. (laughs) 
Overhearing this, Bo accompanied his wife to the front of the store. He'd never laid eyes on Ken before, but just like everyone else, he'd heard all the stories. As Ken came into view, the Bone Camps first noticed the opened pocket knife in his hand. Trying to defuse the situation, Bo asked Ken to put it away. His eyes as cold as ice, Ken coldly replied, No one tells me what to do. Then smiled and replied, I got a right to stand here and clean my fingernails, don't I? It was about this time that a young blonde woman whirled through the door behind Ken, eyes as wide as saucers and panting as if she'd ran there from the coast. She pointed her finger at Evelyn and Lois and said between gasps of air, now, full disclosure, I'm going to read this verbatim from what they said. You're going to have to beep the <laughs> shit out of this. Okay. You're going to have to beep the shit out. But this is what was said. Okay. Ready? I want to know which one of you f***ing bitches accused my f***ing kids of coming in this f***ing store and writing it. So is this Trina or whatever? This is Trina, okay. yes. As the Trina. Why the- she sounds as bad as kid. Like I. Oh, yeah. What she, happened to her between the time she was hiding out in somebody else in her foster parents' homes and and when she married or had to marry Ken? A few years, but she was every bit as bad as Ken at wow. this point. Every you're going to hear, I'm talking holding people at gunpoint, threatening people. She was a female Ken, really. Oh yeah. And now, was it because she was so scared and brainwashed that probably she did whatever he said? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, he almost had to become that. Yes, like you can't beat him, join him. That's right, type of thing. That's or or did she just did he turn on her psycho too? I don't know. Yeah, I do. I will say this: I don't think if she'd ever met him, she would have ever become no. that. No. I mean, it could be something really to the effect of like the strong survive, and she's had to get tough, yeah. and that's how she made it. Yep, I would. Yeah, that's exactly the thing. That's exactly the reason. Well, as the women tried to process what was happening, the woman ramped up even more and yelled, I'm going to take you f***ing bitches out here in the street and whip your f***ing asses off. (laughs) This was when Evelyn recognized the woman as Trina McLeod. Of course, now Trina McElroy. Although the last time she'd seen her, Trina was a shy farm girl who spoke softly and had a pleasant face. So that was a good contradiction or whatever that you brought up. Yeah. Yeah, she doesn't sound like she has a pleasant face (laughs) now. That girl had been replaced by a hardened woman with a flat voice and emotionless eyes. Of course it was. Yeah, oh yeah. Beat it all out of her. Yes. Evelyn stated that it was uh, she who had waited on the McElroy girls, and she led Trina to the register where she reenacted the whole ordeal. This is what happened. Uh, We didn't mean for any of this to happen. Ken had simply watched the show, cleaning his fingernails and saying nothing. But at this point, he walked up to the register and announced that he wanted a pack of smokes. Lois stepped in, squaring up to Ken, and looked him straight in the eye and said, Sir, I understand that no one in your family wishes to do business in this store anymore. After studying for a moment, Ken replied, Yeah, that's right. To which Lois retorted, Well, so be it, before turning and walking out to the back of the store. So she was like, ready for this, I guess. At this, Ken and Trina, they left. As Evelyn also retreated to the back of the store to calm down, Bo reassured her that it really was over now. <laughs> it's so sad to even read that, knowing what's happening. And yeah. uh, he doubted they'd ever hear from the McElroys again. Yeah. Well, because your normal human brain would think that. Well, because anyone could get irrational, but eventually a rational side of your brain takes back over. And, and even if you don't call and say you're sorry or come back and say you're sorry, which is very unlikely in the first place, 
you just don't do anymore because you realize how stupid you're being. Yeah. Uh, these people didn't have that. Bo's telling Evelyn, hey, you know what? They came in, they said their piece, they made a scene, they made asses of themselves. It's over now. Sure. It only took a few hours Oh no! To be proven, I was going to say a few days. No. I was going to guess a few days. It wasn't even dark yet. Oh man! That very evening, not long after the Bowen camps had gotten home and made supper, they noticed a caravan of cars crawling by their house. Looking out the window, they noticed Ken in his green Dodge, followed by Trina in a green Chevy, followed by Tammy in a red Chevy. After the crew had made several passes in front of the house, Lois picked up the phone and called Russ Johnson, the deputy sheriff. We talked about him earlier. To tell him what happened uh, that day and what was currently going on. Sure. Russ's response was typical of the attitude law enforcement had towards Ken. They didn't want Jack all to do with him. Okay, then quit your job. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, if you're not going to do your job, you're stealing from whoever's paying you and that's taxpayers. So you quit. If you're too afraid to do it, quit. Yeah. Like, I mean, at least the, in the old west in the sheriff town, like, oh, these outlaws are getting too much. I'm going to lay my badge down and move off into the country. It's like, quit if you can't do your job. <laughs> I, it's just so, I see, I see it everywhere in the world. You don't want to do your thing, well, quit. Yeah. You know, you're stealing. If you don't do a job you're paid for, that you're stealing money. So yep. you're no better than Ken. It's like when my wife was pregnant with our daughter and we went to get the ultrasound and the lady was so hateful and rude to her that I blew up on her and I got banned from that hospital. Really? <laughs> yeah, not forever, but I, it was for a certain amount. Oh, I was pissed. Oh, I told her the same thing. I was like, look, bitch, if you don't like people and if you hate everybody around you, don't do this job. And especially don't talk to my wife that way. And I went off on her. And oh, wow. I kind of got let out of there by security. <laughs> That's fun. But and she turned a fun day like, oh, my God, we're going to see images of our baby for the first time. She shit all over it, completely ruined it just because she was a haggard cow. Wow. Yeah. You so, never told me that story before. Oh, man. It, anyway, yeah, that's... I'm allowed back in there now, but it's all good. <laughs> You've grown a beard since yeah. then. <laughs> they don't know it's who I am. It's not like they have a poster. <laughs> this guy is not nice. Yeah. So, that's uh, funny. She calls Russ, and he says, now, don't worry about it. He won't do nothing. Oh, he may harass you a while, but he won't do nothing serious. That's what he said. Yeah, right. <laughs> to the surprise and relief of Bo and Lois Bowen Camp, after this night, they didn't see or hear from Ken for four whole days. That's a, that's a new record. <laughs> While they were letting down their guard, Ken was busy telling several versions of what happened to the v various drinking and coon hunting buddies in the area. Unsurprisingly, they all painted the Bowen camps as evil and his children as totally innocent. Sure. They'd simply gone into the store to buy candy and old Bo had chased them out into the street saying he didn't want any dirty, rotten McElroys in his store. Because <laughs> that sure sounds like Bo Bowen camp from the 5,000 other testimonies that I heard about the guy being nothing but a sweetheart. Yeah, but in this exactly. one, this one day, though. Yeah. As we stated before, Skidmore was very isolated and didn't even have a police department. The nearest law of any kind was the sheriff's office, which was about 20 minutes away in Maryville. But there was usually a town marshal, a.k.a. a local guy who got paid a few bucks a month and had to provide his own gun and vehicle. Oh, wow. At this particular period, that man was David Dunbar, a young muscular guy with your typical 80s mullet and Tom Selleck mustache. You can find this guy in interviews from back then after it went down. Yeah. He's the most 80s looking guy I've ever seen. <laughs> Love him. The local gals all thought he was dreamy. I could see that. He looked like a hockey player. 
with this mullet. <laughs> Hockey player in Missouri. Yeah. He was originally from Iowa and had only accepted a job two weeks prior. A day or two after the grocery store incident, McElroy cornered Dunbar on the street and said, You're the new marshal, right? I don't know what voice to give Ken, so I'm just going to read it. I, I've figured on it, and I don't really hear him sounding like a redneck. I don't know what voice he had. There's no, like, interviews or anything with him. Yeah. What do you think he sounded like? Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I bet he, I bet it was low, like a low voice. Yeah. Heavy Southern and just a bunch of bad grammar. And he hated farmers, so I think he probably rebelled against, like, speaking kind of redneckish. Yeah. He probably tried not to speak that way. You would think so. But then he had a farm. He did. I don't well, think it was like a... Let's call it a farm. Functional farm. <laughs> this ain't no farm. <laughs> he said... It's just land. Yeah. Just land. Yeah. Just land. Welcome to the... Oh, the land. The land. You're the new marshal, right? What would you do if my wife got into a fight with Lois Bowen Camp? Not knowing what the hell Ken was talking about, Dunbar scratched his head and basically said, well, I mean, if they both agreed to it, I don't know what I could do. On April 29th, so like I said, four days later, as Bo and Lois were closing the store and getting into their station wagon, Ken pulled up next to them and leaned out of his window. Hey, is she still the boss in the store? He asked Bo. Bo replied, well, yeah. Ken leaned out a little further. Is she the boss in the streets? <laughs> Lois jumped out of the car and marched around to confront Ken face to face. Mr. McElroy, as far as I know, there is no boss of the streets. After another short argument over whether or not his kids had stolen from the store, Ken pulled a $100 bill from his pocket and said, I'll tell you what, this can be yours. All you got to do is try to whip my old lady's ass and it's yours. You wait here and I'll go get her. After picking her jaw up off the pavement, Lois shouted, I don't want your money, as she returned to the station wagon to head home. Once there, Bo sauntered into the house while Lois marched across the street to tell Evelyn what had happened. But before she could even finish her story, both women noticed with horror that the McElroy's green Dodge and their Buick was now parked just a little ways down the street. Just then, they saw Ken and Trina come into view, walking down the middle of the road. Trina raised her arms and did a little, what you gonna do motion. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. What it, you know what it looks like. What you gonna do, bitch? <laughs> While they turned to make another pass by the house. What you gonna do? You know that move you make when you're super smart? <laughs> Fearing for her safety, Evelyn darted into the house and called her parents, who drove up just a few minutes later. For the next hour, the Bowen camps, Evelyn and her parents, watched as Ken and Trina walked up and down the street. These people did not have a lot to do with their f***ing time. No. Seriously, no. like... Hey, let's drive back and forth past these people's house. Or, hey, let's go park and walk around in front of their house for an hour. Yeah. I got shit to do. Yeah. I don't have that kind of time. I don't understand this. Well, Ken had everybody else doing his stuff for him. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he had his crew out stealing. He had the Foot Clan foot, out there. Foot Clan. The Foot Clan, yeah. yeah. I mean, they got all those kids you could be spending some time with. You could. I mean, I play with my toddler and do stuff with my teenager in the evenings, but... I just, they had all the time in the world. If they said she stole some candy, you'd be in that store just like him, cleaning your fingernails with your knife. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I got a right to do this, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Ken and Trina are walking up and down the road. Every once in a while, they'd walk over to the Dodge, pop the hood, look at the engine. 
before stepping out onto the street and staring at the house again. Eventually, Lois had enough and called Deputy Sheriff Johnson again. And this time, he actually said he'd head that way. Wow. Just a few minutes after the call, Ken shut the hood on his truck and the McElroy caravan drove away. See, Ken kept all his rigs equipped with the latest radar and CB equipment to help stay ahead of the law. That meant when Deputy Sheriff radioed that he was heading to the Bowen camps, Ken was the first to know. Johnson and another deputy arrived 20 minutes later and spoke with Lois, who told them the whole story, from the grocery store debacle to the harassment at their home. Unfortunately, Ken knew the law as well as they did. He hadn't actually trespassed on anyone's property, so there was nothing they could do. As far as pulling a knife in their store... Johnson acknowledged that was beyond the law, but followed that by saying that if they went after Ken, all they'd do was rile him up, and they doubted he'd get successful prosecution anyway. It's all right. It's all true. I mean, you can't get him for some of the other things that were so blatant. Right. So how could you get You're him You're not going to get him for the knife thing. Mm-mm. He was right. But he did assure her he'd definitely file a report. <laughs> Man, that makes me feel better. You mean this will be written on a piece of paper that'll never get seen again? Cool. Lois rolled her eyes and went back in the house. An hour after the deputies left, guess what happened? Came back. Yep. Ken was back again. Parked in front of their house with his hood up. Goddamn car trouble. This time, Lois didn't even bother calling the police. She was beginning to understand what so many people had already come to accept. If you were ever unfortunate enough to have to deal with Ken McElroy, you were on your own. Yeah, because he's too stupid to think about anything else but you. To the Bowen camp's surprise, after this night, they didn't see or hear any more from Ken for actually the next few weeks. It was a nice little break there. Then, on May 29th, exactly a month later, Lois and Bo were in front of their lawn, or out in their front lawn, pulling weeds, when Ken's green Dodge rolled up and parked in front of the house once again. Trina was with him, along with a coon hound in the bed of the truck. There was a gun rack in the back glass, which was pretty common back then. Sure with a gun in each of the three spaces. Every farmer and hunter had a rifle or two in the back glass back then, but when those guns belonged to Ken McElroy, it was a little different. Sure. Ken got out of the truck and popped the hood. Car trouble again. Lois told Bo to ignore them, and the couple continued to work, while Trina stared at them from inside the truck, and Ken pretended to look at his engine. The Bowen camps finished up and went to the front porch to have some tea and cool off. Still, the McElroys watched them. Finally, around dark, Lois and Bo went inside the house. Ken finally slammed the hood and walked around to the back of the truck to his dog. Remember, they had the coon dog in the back of the truck. He motioned a command to the dog, and it started barking and howling. Each time it settled down, Ken would make it bark and howl again. Then Ken abruptly stopped, hopped back in the truck, and roared off down the street. Lois and Bo were relieved to finally be left alone. Bo went up to bed while Lois finished a few things in the kitchen. Okay. However. (laughs) Nice trick, Ken. (laughs) 45 minutes later, she recognized the rumble of Ken's truck once again and heard it come to a stop. Just as Lois rolled her eyes and thought, here we go, car trouble again, she was startled by a massive boom sound, quickly followed by a second. She ran to the front room and looked out the window to see Ken standing in her yard holding a shotgun. Others in the neighborhood heard the shots as well, as evidenced by the random porch lights now coming on up and down the street. As she stood at the window, shaking like a leaf, she watched Ken walk back to his truck and leave again. This time, Lois stayed in the front room to keep watch. 
She now expected McElroy to come back, and she was right. 30 minutes later, the Dodge was back in front of the house. Boom, another shot. Only this one was much closer to the house. Then, after sitting in the idling truck and staring at the house for a few minutes, Ken and Trina pulled away again, this time for the night. (laughs) I know, man. I mean, they're gutless in a brave kind of way. Brainless. Brainless for sure. Yeah. It's just so bizarre. And pointless and weird and nonsensical and... Don't you have to think about yourself and and be like, I'm spending this much time on this thing? It's just very embarrassing. Mm-hmm. You're just one of the mo- worst humans on the earth. Do you want to make? It, do you want me to make it like frustratingly simple? What's in that? my opinion? I just think Ken wasn't a happy guy. Yeah, I think it's I all yeah. about state of mind. For sure. You ever notice, like, if you're in a decent mood or a good mood, if someone cuts you off in traffic, you, a normal person, sure, you're like, oh, ha, sorry. I've even had people, like, look and, like, do the, and I'll do, and I'll, like, laugh, and we, like, it's no big deal. But if you've had a shit day and you are not in a good mood and someone cuts you off, you're like, oh, where'd you get your driver's license and Cracker Jack box, you piece of shit? And you'll honk your horn and you're so mad. Yeah, I get you. So you're saying that he knew he was obviously... A piece of crap. I, I just think he was not a happy dude. And he knew as like his life was kind of a huge waste. So he just thought, well, I'll terrorize other people. Yeah. I mean, without having that exact thought. Right. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Well, after this happened, Lois didn't even call the cops. Instead, she waited till the next morning and she drove to the sheriff's office in Maryville to personally report the incident to Sheriff Roger Cronk. Sorry, I just, looks like you should say it. I cronk. Several laws had been broken. There was an ordinance against firing weapons in city limits. There was also a law against firing a weapon with intent to harm another that Ken had clearly violated. But like everyone else before, cronk told Lois it was better not to instigate anything with Ken because, well, it just might make it worse. Cronk, quit. <laughs> you're stealing money. You're not doing your job. Quit. quit Just go cronk. off and crawl in a hole and die. You're worthless. But wait, he's not done. Okay. He promised that he would, quote, keep an eye on the situation. Yeah. <laughs> Good for nothing. Good for nothing. Two days later, the bone camps arrived home from work to f- again find Mikhail Roy parked in their drive while Trina and Tammy now walked up and down the street. The couple tried to ignore them. However, they soon heard a second truck drive up and two loud shotgun blasts, followed by the roaring engines of the truck speeding away. Can you imagine just trying to be out in your yard having tea on a nice summer night and, oh, it's the fifth, what's this, the fifth night or the sixth night we've had these people drive up in our yard and and shoot shotguns. It just seems so ridiculous. It's hard to even fathom to me that that actually happened. Yeah. I can't even believe it. It's so stupid. It's it it boggles the mind. Yeah. And over 12 cents of candy. Positive that no agency would help them and not knowing what else to do. You know what the bone camps did? What's that? They went to bed. What else can you do? What mm. else can you do? No one's going to help you. No elected uh, law person anywhere or, or uh, official is going to help you. So what do you do? But then at 10 o'clock, they heard Ken's truck again, and they heard another gunshot. Lois ran downstairs and looked out to see Ken standing in front of his truck, pointing his shotgun at the house. And guess what he did? He fired it again. 
This time, he blasted a large chunk uh, out of the tree right beside their house, sending bark and wood fragments everywhere. As Lois crouched down under the window, he fired several more times. Bo didn't even bother getting out of bed. After another half-dozen shots, Ken got back in his truck and revved up the engine nearly to the point of blowing it up before finally letting off the gas. He gave one more hateful stare at the house before dropping the truck into gear and finally driving away. Lois had tried the sheriff's office and had no luck, so a few days later she called the newly appointed town marshal, remember David Dunbar? Mm-hmm. Sexy dude. Mustache. Mullet. <laughs> and explained the situation to him. Dunbar knew McElroy's reputation, how the previous town marshal had been too scared to confront him, and how the town had called him a coward. Knowing that he had to do something, Dunbar, start to his credit now, started cruising by the Bowen Camp's home in the evenings. And sure enough, one evening in late July, he caught Ken sitting in their driveway. Dunbar took a deep breath as he pulled up beside Ken and rolled his window down. Ken also rolled his down. Dunbar leaned out. What are you doing here, Ken? Just sitting here, Ken replied. Dunbar took another deep breath. Listen. Have you been shooting your shotgun near this house? Ken smiled and replied, Could be, but you know, we're getting real close to July 4th. Maybe it could have been fireworks. Dunbar soon realized what so many others had before him. Ken McElroy had nothing better to do than harass people he had grievances against, and anyone who tried to help those people would be added to that list. The following evening, Dunbar and his kids were out playing in their front yard when they noticed a caravan of oh my god of three trucks slowly creeping by with their lights off the first truck was driven by ken while the other two trucks were driven by women after circling his house the caravan left but dunbar ushered his kids back into the house just to be safe hey you guys want to do another stupid parade tonight <laughs> where we just prove how stupid we are <laughs> it'll be fun so, yeah, I know everyone's super frustrated. Everyone, I know, I, I can see Ivan is super frustrated. Well, it's okay. We, we could have we went on, but you have several parts left, so we might as well end it at There's that. There's so much more. And, yeah, uh, stick with us, folks. We'll be back next week with part five, and uh, we'll see you then. Let me tell you about some fellas I know. Named Ivan, Sam, and Joe. They got themselves a little podcast, you know. And they talk about everything under the sun that they find interesting, spooky, or fun. And they sure ain't trying to impress no one. The remedy to too much time on your answers. Take a little listen to the dawn of Manti. talk about killers, monsters, and cults. French mates from hell, disappeared folks. Occasionally throw in a few dad jokes. They try to make every story extra nice by adding their own ginger spice. Not one time or two, but thrice. Right, right. The remedy to too much time on you ends is Take a little listen to the dawn of Manti
I'm sure these fellas will be around for quite a spell. Cause there sure ain't no shortage of stories to tell. Cause this old world's as weird as hell. But hell, even if nobody listens, you know they'd maintain a fine disposition. Cause shooting the breeze is kind of their mission. Too much time on your hands is take a little listen to the dawn of magic. Remedy to too much time on your hands is take a little listen to the dawn of magic. 